Welcome to the Project Horse Podcast. We're making advanced horsemanship accessible, sharing down-to-earth training advice and practical exercises with horsemen dedicated to accomplishing their goals. Whether you're hitting the trails for fun, training a project horse at home, or refining maneuvers for reining or cowhorse competition, we'll help you take your horsemanship to the next level. Thank you for joining us. Welcome to the Project Horse Podcast, presented by Lundahl Performance. I'm Jake Lundahl, joined here with my brother Luke, and our sponsor for this episode is Drinking Post Waterers. If you haven't already, I'd encourage you to go to www.drinkingpost.com slash projecthorse to enter for your chance to win a frost-free automatic water. We're going to talk more about our sponsor later in the episode, but first we've got a couple topics to go over. We're going to talk today about highly sensitive, spooky, reactive horses and what types of groundwork exercises and desensitizing is going to help those kinds of horses calm down and do the groundwork in a way that's respectful. They're moving their feet, they're responsive, but they're not rattled and worried about everything that you're doing. We're also going to talk today about hobbling, and this is a subject that has been asked about a lot. Often when we talk to potential training horse customers or people that we know Uh, that want to find out more about our program, one of the interesting things that comes up is our thoughts on hobbling and where that fits in. A lot of people are surprised that we hobble horses so early on, uh, or they're just unfamiliar with the steps that we do it in, the steps of how we introduce the hobbling. So we're going to talk about the right way, in our opinion, that you can do this and what the benefits are. But for starters, let's talk about spooky, hypersensitive, overreactive horses on the ground. We got a question that says, hi, guys, I've got a rescue mare that's very reactive. I've done lots of desensitizing with her, but she's still very reactive and spooky. She's snorting at everything. She just won't relax. She gets worked up very easily. What can I do about this? And I'll say right off the bat that when you're working with these types of horses on the ground anyway, when you when you begin your training, when you begin your program, you still have to have an emphasis on the sensitizing exercises, the the respect and the move your feet and the establish your personal space type of exercises. A lot of people, when they get a hypersensitive, overreactive, spooky horse in training, they neglect to really get control of this thing's feet on the ground because they're worried about blowing this horse's brain box and and overloading them because they're already reactive and worked up as it is. But you you still you can't skip the sensitizing. You can't skip establishing your personal space. You can't skip the round pinning. You can't skip the the lunging exercises, yielding the hindquarters, basic control on the ground. These things you can't skip just because the horse is hypersensitive, right? And in the beginning, when you're trying to get these exercises established, the horse is going to be overreactive still. You you don't have enough control on the ground right now to begin your desensitizing. You've got to get control of the horse's feet first. You just have to be very mindful of the fact that you are working with this overreactive, nervous uh, basket case of a horse, quite frankly. But I want to make that point up front because we see a lot of people get in trouble where they they have this spooky, nervous, overreactive horse and they think, oh, well, I need to balance this horse out. I, I need to do disproportionately more desensitizing and less of the sensitizing and the respect exercises. And what they end up doing is trying to desensitize a horse that doesn't respect their personal space and they have no control of that horse's feet. 
And oftentimes you'll find that when you're trying to do that, the horse's behavior actually gets worse because you're trying to desensitize an animal that's green and has no respect for you and really just isn't in the frame of mind to where the training is going to have the most beneficial effect anyway. It's being super overreactive and nervous. You don't have any control of it. And then you're out there trying to flap a bag in its face, right? And we see all the time horses running away with people, people getting run over. Um, it's crazy. So I want to say right off the bat, don't skimp on the groundwork. You just have to, your feel and timing has to be a lot better, right? This is not a horse that's going to be very forgiving if you just walk up and, and whack this thing on the nose or on the hindquarters full power ignorantly with no feel or timing. You need to be very aware and conscious of what you're doing. That doesn't mean you creep around and do everything slow, but there are a lot of sensitizing exercises and desensitizing that we can get into beyond the initial stage of just establishing some basic control that are going to help bring this horse down to a sane level as far as disposition goes. So let's talk about some of that. Some of it has to do with just the way that you go through your regular exercises, and then there's other modifications of groundwork exercises that we can do to help this horse out. Yeah, I, I think a good way to look at it is especially with the spooky overreactive horse, one that's kind of hot-blooded, nervous type of a horse. It's like trying to get a kid to sit still that's really impatient. and It's like a young kid that's really impatient, doesn't want to sit still, and you're trying to get them to sit still. So the approach a lot of people go with their spooky, reactive, hot-blooded horse is to say, okay, well, I just need to do a bunch of desensitizing. That's like you know, dealing with the kid that has the ants in his pants and saying, okay, we just need to practice sitting still. And so you make him sit still all day. It's just going to absolutely drive the kid nuts. And it's just going to be a, you know, a war between you and this kid. When in reality, the first thing you have to do is say, okay, I need this kid to sit still. So what distill it down to what are the factors that need to happen to make this as easy as possible? Okay. Well, before we sit still, what do I need to do? I need to burn off some energy. I need to send him outside have him, you know, go play and run, whatever, burn off the energy. So it's not all pent up and this kid is just wired for sound. And secondly, I need to make sure that this kid respects me as, as his parent. And you get those two aspects. Then you can work on sitting still and being quiet and being respectful. And it, your job is a lot easier. That's kind of the way to look at it with this situation with these hot-blooded and spooky horses, these hot-blooded and reactive horses. Yes, you want them to be quiet, but you don't get them quiet by working on making them quiet, right? That comes later on. You have to first get two things done. Establish respect, get them to look to you as the leader, right? So when they are nervous and, and reactive, they look to you as in, okay, normally I would fly off the hook and just do whatever I want to do and react to survive the situation. Now I'm going to turn to you and you tell me what to do. So we need to establish that element of it first. They need to look to you as the leader. And secondly, they need to have a reason to even remotely look to the desensitizing that you're doing and say, ah, this might be a good thing. Maybe if I just stand here and savor this moment that you're just letting me stand here and be lazy, 
maybe this is a good thing. We need they need there needs to be a motivation for them to even want to accept the desensitizing in the first place. If they're looking around and winning at their buddies and prancing around in circles because you just pulled them out of the stall and they're all fresh and they're already you know they're in a new environment, let's say, and they're just feeling their beans. You're not going to go out there and start throwing the lead rope at them. It's it's going to be an absolute disaster. They they need to have a reason to want to stand there for that lead rope. And in the beginning, especially with a horse that's hot-blooded, very nervous, very reactive, you're going to have to go through their lungs to get to their brain, right? So that doesn't mean senselessly run them around, you know, until they're tired. It's not <laughs> you don't want to treat it like a, a cutting horse where you just go and lope it for 3 hours in circles before it's beat down enough that you can go and cut some cows on it. No, or you with a horse like this, you're going to look to do exercises where it requires a lot of engagement, a lot of changes of direction, lots of redirection, and you know, lots of turn, go, stop, go, back up, left, right, hustle, slow down, just lots of different things to engage mentally, but also you're going through their lungs to get to their brain. You're getting this thing to where they're like, huh, 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 okay, I need to find a rest. Oh, she's throwing the lead rope at me. Hmm, maybe I can sneak a rest in here. And they realize, oh, when the lead rope comes out, I get to stand here and get my air back. This is a good deal. And then they'll start to equate the two and they'll start to allow you. And that's, the, I think, the key word. They'll start to allow you to desensitize them. And they'll start to allow you to work on that reactive behavior, that spooky behavior. But you have to get them to respect you enough to allow you to do it. If you have a horse that's disrespectful and fearful, going in there and addressing the the fear right away out of the right out of the gate is not only is it going to be frustrating because you're going to have to deal with a ton of reaction from this horse. And it's going to feel like every day you come out, you're restarting from day one. So a good example of that is there was a movie that came out. I don't know how when exactly it was. But anyways, it was kind of like a documentary type of a thing about this one trainer. And he did a clinic where there was this the stud horse. I don't remember how old it was. But anyways, it was really reactive and yet disrespectful as well. And so they get this thing. And the first thing that he has his assistant do is go in there with a saddle pad and start desensitizing this thing with a saddle pad. And of course, it's in a round pen and there's people all around the round pen and there's horses out in pens that are winning. So this thing is super distracted. It's a stud horse. It's super disrespectful, yet also really fearful. And this guy is flapping the saddle pad around to start desensitizing his horse. And of course, it freaks out. It's running sideways, pulling away and dragging him around and whatnot and looking around while it's doing it and look, you know, paying attention to everything but the saddle pad. But it's reacting to the saddle pad. Then all of a sudden you can kind of see its temperament change, like the look in its eye and it lunges forward and bites the guy on the top of the head, you know? And so he drops the pad and heads for the fence and jumps out. And then of course, you know, they, they cut away from it. And then eventually, I guess they put the horse down is what it said in the, you know, the subtitles afterwards. And of course it was magnified because it was a stud, but that's a perfect example of a horse that was super reactive, but also incredibly disrespectful. And so you go in there and try to, you know, say, oh, it's okay, Fluffy. It's just a saddle pad. It'll be all right. It doesn't care. The horse does not care because it does not respect you. So it doesn't matter how much you throw at it, how many bridges you walk it over, how many tarps you put down, how many pool noodles you beat it with. It's not going to chill out 
until it has a reason to, which is that it respects you. You know, they need these these animals look for a leader. And if they realize that you're not going to be one, they assume command, but they have to have some structure in their life. It's just the way that they're wired. So engaging them with by moving their feet and doing sensitizing exercises, you'd say, well, sensitizing, doesn't that mean, you know, we're going to make our horse more sensitive? No, it means that we're in we're moving his feet to engage him mentally. Okay. And with, especially with a hot blooded horse, we're also, again, circling back to, like I said before, we're getting to his lungs or getting him mentally and physically exhausted to where this desensitizing means something. So that being said, before we get into some of the actual exercises, one thing that you'll see as a through line across all of these things that we're talking about is the fact that yes, you are putting pressure on this horse moving its body around, changes of direction, moving its feet, establishing that respect and control, obviously. And with a sensitive, nervous horse, it's usually not hard in the beginning to create movement in the feet, right? It doesn't take a lot. However, that doesn't mean that you can't expose this horse to pressure as well. You obviously want to be smart about not just whacking this horse senselessly out of the blue, especially in the teaching stage. You, you definitely want to establish some control, establish some energy in the feet, but you're not going to be overly picky when you're in the teaching stage with this exercise. That's true with any horse, but especially one that's really sensitive. You're going to have to be smart about how much energy that you're using in your cues and your reinforcement and your corrections so that you don't just unnecessarily create a fight. But there's a balance there. You can't then let that deter you from putting pressure on a horse like this. There's still going to be times, even with a sensitive horse, where, for example, you go to yield their hindquarters and you need to tap or whack them on the hindquarters because they're kind of ignoring you, not paying attention, not moving the hind end over, whatever. Or when you're teaching backing, you can't let this horse's oversensitivity deter you from, say, whacking the lead rope or the snap on the rope or even the horse on the nose if it needs it. A lot of times they won't. But just like any other horse, you can't deter their personality and level of sensitivity from using the pressure you need to to get the job done. And in fact, it's important that a horse like this understands how to handle pressure. That doesn't mean you go whack on them for no reason and say, here, take this, thwack, you know, and crack them across the nose just because, well, we got to toughen him up. No, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that we can't be overprotective little nannies that want to shield the horse from anything that might be upsetting. We want to use energy and pressure to create movement in the feet and do the exercises we want. And we're going to be smart about it. But at the same time, we're not going to be overly protective, right? You see what I'm saying? There's a balance there. And as the horse gets more broke, after we've got the concept lesson of these exercises down, we can be a little bit more picky as we go along. We're still going to be mindful of his sensitivity level, however. And this starts from day one in the round pin, where, for example, we'll establish direction and send this horse forward and around the round pin, but we're probably not going to be whacking on him to a, to a large degree. In fact, if we ever have to get beyond spanking the ground, it might be a rarity for this horse, right? Because if we're actually, if we're relentlessly pursuing him like a tiger around the round pin, this would be the kind of horse that goes to try to jump the fence, right? And we've seen people get in trouble with this where they forget that the whole point of round pinning, especially in the concept stage, this is just the first introduction of getting some control of the horse's feet. Get a little energy in the feet, establish a little direction, 
eventually get some basic changes of direction, this is not a scientific experiment. This is not very technical, right? But you see a lot of people with a horse like this that are relentlessly demanding that the horse is continuously loping around for laps upon laps and really stressed out if the horse ever breaks down to a trot. Whereas when I'm working with a horse like this in the round pin, yeah, I want to establish direction and I want to get this horse loping around the round pin, but I'm not going to be demanding uh, about it. I'm not going to insist that the horse lope several laps at a time. In fact, if he's taking the liberty to kind of break down to a trot occasionally, I'm going to be lenient about that. I'm going to let him be able to relax and start to figure out that I can create energy in the feet. I can, I can cause you to move one direction or the other. That doesn't necessarily mean you have to be freaking out and scampering like a mad squirrel. You know, you can move out, but not be nervous and jittery about it, right? So a lot of times with a horse like this, I'm going to be less demanding, especially on day one, about them loping continuously around the round pin. And in fact, any sign that they give me, any change that they give me of, you know, them just kind of temperamentally settling, quieting down, getting more relaxed in the, throughout the exercise, I'm going to reward that by laying off a little bit. I'm not going to be a drill sergeant as much as I would be with a lazy horse that I have to put a lot of pressure on just to get them moved out. Another thing I'm not going to do with this horse, especially on day one, is be real focused and concerned with having this horse walk up to me and join up and, you know, follow me around the round pin like a puppy dog. If a horse like this, if we're getting to that stage of the exercise where I'm able to get some changes of direction to the inside, he's relaxing, I'm allowing him to trot more because he's kind of getting out of air anyways, and I'm just, as the exercise goes along, I go from prioritizing getting movement in the feet to now I'm allowing the horse to relax because I want to end the exercise on a more chilled out, calm note. I'm going to be less and less demanding as we go on and I'm going to allow him to relax himself. At the end of that, I'm not going to blow it by insisting that he gets right up close to me. You know, if I can find a point where he's, he'll stop and turn in and just face me with two eyes and stand there, I'm going to let that happen. I'm going to let him find a reward and a release. I'm not going to then double down and try to get up to him and rub all over him or, or yield a horse's hindquarters back and forth to unlock his feet and spiral out and try to make him follow you. No, just leave him alone. And that kind of goes with all the rest of these exercises, is especially when you get a concept established and the horse figures out the concept of the lesson and they relax about it, and you can tell that they understand, and they're kind of in that green zone where they get it, uh, compared to earlier when they were kind of hyperactive and nervous. Now they've mentally settled a little bit. Let that soak in. Just leave them alone. Don't pick at them. Let those moments kind of develop naturally, and give that horse a little time to breathe and kind of digest what just happened. Yeah, when it comes to lunging, I think the, the name of the game is changes of direction. You're going to obviously, especially in the beginning when you're teaching them, whether it's starting out in the round pin and then moving out in the arena, you're going to be doing a lot of circles to teach this horse how to go forward and around on the circle, not drag you around, etc. So you have to kind of put up with that in that stage and kind of hearkening back to the round pin away. You're still going to check your gas pedal, lunging them, make sure when you point that they can lope, but you're not going to insist that they run around loping continuously. And 
as they get better finding the circle and staying on that circle, and as they improve in that area, then you're going to have more of an emphasis on changes of direction, adding the rollbacks into the lunging. Uh, if they're too green for that, you can do a lot of yielding their hindquarters and sending them the other and redirecting them the other way and left, right, left, right, constantly shutting them down, sending them off the other way. Moving into actually adding a rollback is where you really get into the good stuff as far as lunging is concerned for these particular horses. Getting in the road with a rollback, sending them the other way, allows this horse to blast off a thousand miles an hour and then is immediately redirected the other way. Blast off, immediately redirected. Blast off, immediately redirected. And the reason that this is important is if you just let them run around, especially a hot-blooded type of horse, they just get on like a bit of a high where they just go and go and go and go and go. And they just mentally check out. And they don't learn anything. They just kind of get hyper and wound up on running faster and faster, faster, faster. So getting in the road with a rollback, it's more of, it's like a mental exercise. They're free to just take off and then they're immediately redirected. Free to take off back onto your circle, immediately redirected. And immediately that could be a quarter of a circle. That could be three quarters of a circle. You could let them go a circle and a half, just half a circle. That that all depends on variation. You mix it up. You, you don't say, well, every three quarters of a circle, I'm going to redirect. You know, you, you mix it up so the horse never knows when it's coming. Sometimes you wait a circle or two. Sometimes you redirect them immediately. It just depends on when you throw it at them. But it's a mental exercise in the fact that the horse starts to learn that you're not trying to hold them up. You see a lot of people lunging a horse that's really hot. They like constantly wiggle on the lead rope or bump it to try to slow the horse down. You're letting the horse go. It's all up to the horse how much air he loses, right? So you're letting him go. He gets to gallop off a thousand miles an hour and then is immediately hit with a redirection. Gallop off and then hit with another redirection. Eventually, he realizes because he's in full control of the situation in the fact that you're not trying to regulate his speed. You're letting him blast off. So eventually he realizes that, man, this kind of sucks. Like every time I gallop off, I have to work really hard to get stopped, to get turned and head off again. It doesn't seem like I'm going anywhere. I just, you know, I, I get going, I'm excited to run off, to run, and then I have to go back the other way and I have to go back over here. And pretty soon he, he anticipates that that will be coming and starts to conserve his energy and put a lot more thought behind every step that he takes. You're basically using that redirection to, like I said earlier, get to his lungs to get to his brain. You redirect him enough to where he finally says, aha, there's something going on here. Maybe I need to think for a second. And he'll start to realize, okay, every time I, I run off, I gallop to another redirection. And then I have to work really hard to turn, go the other way. So maybe if I back off the throttle a little bit will make my life a little easier now you're getting into his head now you're getting them to actually start thinking about what's going on so doing those rollbacks when you're lunging especially for a hot type of a horse whether it's going to a new environment or just beginning the training itself is an invaluable tool when first starting out when you don't have very good handle on on this type of a horse it allows you to get a lot done you're not up close to the horse where it makes the situation potentially dangerous or something like that. So you're you're kind of out of his space. He's out of your space and you're allowing, you're from a distance really getting inside of his head through his legs and getting him to think and to engage with you. And something I personally love to do, especially towards the end of a lunging session, if we've done a good mix of yielding the hindquarters and sending the other way 
and some inside turns or rollbacks to the inside, you know, a lot of redirection of the feet. As the horse is kind of getting out of air, he's starting to calm down, he's starting to mentally settle. I'm also going to lower the intensity of my own body language and become even more casual and kind of let him trot and relax and end the exercise on a really calm and relaxed note. And you can even do that midway through. If this horse is really overreactive and crazy, you need to keep your own body language and your own intensity and energy level at a minimum. That doesn't mean you become ineffective, but you're trying to be the polar opposite of the horse. If the horse is being a completely crazy, paranoid schizophrenic, you have to be the ultimate chill, almost therapist in a way, but not one that's going to be ineffective. And that brings up a good point as far as finishing a session with this type of a horse. It doesn't matter how wound up they got to begin the session, especially like say when you're lunging them, doing a lot of rollbacks to the inside. They get wound up, you know, they're huffing and puffing, they're snorting around, and, and let's say you do, it takes like 15 minutes before you finally got this this thing engaged and relaxed, right? So you got them really wound up. You don't just get a nice rollback and then quit. You continue this exercise until you have wound them back down. You start out the situation on a low-key, mellow type of a note, and it's more so for you than it is the horse because the horse is going to come out breathing fire, but you start out the session, your own body language, your own kind of demeanor is passive, relaxed, calm, quiet. Then you go about the session and say you're lunging and he's galloping around and dragging you off. So the intensity is really, really high. It's idled up, right? Well, once you work through all of those struggles, that whole time you're trying your best to maintain your composure, um, you finish the session on whatever that exercise was. So if it's the lunging with the rollbacks, you finish that exercise back quiet again, meaning I'm going to continue to do that exercise until not only am I getting good turns, but I'm getting him to to willingly jog. When I step out in front, have him roll back to the inside, he just offers a jog the other way. It might be a, a really quick jog to begin with. Like, you know, he might be doing an extended jog, kind of nervous half tropey thing to begin with, but I'm not going to worry about that. I'm just going to continue methodically changing directions, mixing it up until he's trotting both ways, fairly relaxed. And I want to continue doing that until I get him to walk both ways on his own. I don't make him do it. All I do is I just add in redirections and I just keep redirecting, redirecting, redirecting until he's like, shoot, this is getting difficult. I want to Start make, I want to try and make life a little easier. What if I just walk? Let's see what happens there. If it'll make these, you know, make these rollbacks a little bit easier. I don't have to stop so hard. I don't have to turn so quick. I don't have to get going so fast. And so he'll offer to walk and I'll take him up on that and I'll have him walk both ways. It doesn't have to be a full circle, maybe just a half a circle. If I feel like, if I feel like he's going to break into a trot and I wanted it and he just finally gave me the walk. If I feel like he was going to break into a trot in seven steps, I'll redirect him in six and have him walk the other way and then yield his hindquarters and get two eyes and then go right into my desensitizing. But I wound him back down so that I quit the exercise when he was go, when his mind was at a slow resting pace. It wasn't going a thousand miles an hour in flight mode or fight mode. I overstimulated the horse mentally and now I got to come back and get him back. So I made him uncomfortable. Now I got to come back and make him comfortable again and finish him quiet. The last thing you do with the horse, whether it's the last exercise you do before moving on to another one or the last 
thing you do at the end of a session before going to the next day is the first thing that they'll remember. So we're about habits here. So we're saying, okay, the last thing you remember of this exercise doesn't matter how wild and crazy it got. As long as we came back and wound it back down, we continue until it got better. And then we wound it back down, move on to the next thing. We'll have carryover to the next exercise and to the next day of thinking our way through things, being able to relax, being able to walk, jog, and be be quiet and be lazy. Yeah, that's such a good point. You want to end every exercise that you do on a good note where the horse is more relaxed. They figured the exercise out. They're accepting it. They're calmed down. And just in general, your sessions every day should end on a nice, relaxed note. We don't need all that energy now, so let's bring things back down. Let's lower the intensity. Let's cool this horse's mind back off. If we leave this thing running hot, well, now we're, we've created a fire that's going to be very hard to put out. And I, I've seen so many horses get in trouble that way, especially ones that are in that zone of they have the tendency to be hot, but they're just right on the edge. They're a sensitive horse that is relatively quiet. All they need is one or two sessions where they get their brain, you know, you kind of light a fire in their mind a little bit. And then you let that simmer all night long because you ended on a bad note or where the horse was really wound up. They need like one or two sessions. And now they're in full-blown crackhead schizophrenic level. A couple other exercises that are very helpful for horses like this. Um, there is, it's, it's basically a modification of lunging known as circle driving where the horse is in a lot closer proximity to you. You're driving the horse forward and around you on the lunge line while you yourself are walking forward and around in a small circle and the inside hand or whatever hand is closest to the horse that's holding the training stick is going to be resting the stick on the top of the horse's withers. If you're teaching that exercise for the first time, that horse is going to be real nervous about that training stick being up there. He's going to be trying to run sideways. He's going to be trying to run away from it. Even if you've desensitized to the stick and string quite a bit. It's going to be a new dynamic that while his feet are in motion, that stick is up there touching him, right? But doing that exercise and being able to do it methodically and smooth and calm and have that horse find that circle without being nervous about the stick being up there is going to be real crucial. And again, that's an, that's an example of an exercise that you yourself, in terms of body language, you've got to be effective in your pressure and keep energy in that horse's feet, yes, and not let him just drag you off across the arena because he's scared of the stick initially. You have to be effective, but you also have to be low in your, in terms of your own energy level and body language and intensity level, right? You have to stay relaxed, effective, but relaxed. And you have to stay with that exercise long enough until the horse relaxes, stops pulling on the halter, stops leaning away from you, settles in, finds a rhythm and finds that circle. And sometimes the concept or the teaching stage of the circle driving can take almost all of an entire session. It'll sometimes replace your lunging because it takes enough out of a horse and it takes long enough for them to just grasp the concept and just understand the exercise when you initially introduce it. But then you can modify that a little bit. You know, once you've got that exercise established, you can say as the horse is moving, uh, just jogging forward and around beside you, you can rub on him with the stick, kind of do a little desens desensitizing in motion. And you can then do that exercise from a distance where you actually have the string on the stick. The horse is a little bit further out and you're kind of gently, as the saying goes, flogging them with kindness, kind of flicking that stick and string over their back with rhythm 
as they jog around. And again, you're introducing new elements. You're, you're, out, you're actually desensitizing in motion. There's movement, there's pressure, there's energy radiating off of the stick and string. So you've got to relax and wait there. And again, until the horse settles, stops being skittery and nervous about that stick and string moving around and touching them. That's a very important exercise, though, to get across to a horse like this. And you can start doing a lot of circle driving transitions where you're just kind of flowing, walking around the arena, changing directions, just keeping things real relaxed and and making your groundwork session flow. You can also modify that exercise by, for example, you're driving the horse at a distance forward and around, kind of gently flicking the stick and string over their back. And then rather than stepping toward their hindquarters, you look, you turn and look at their hindquarters, but you then backpedal, jog backward and encourage that horse to draw towards you, change hands with the stick and string and the rope and send them back past you the other way. So you're, you're effectively drawing that horse to you. And, and as you jog backwards, you're encouraging that horse to jog forwards to you before you send them the new direction. So every time you change directions, rather than yielding that horse's hindquarters away from you, you're encouraging them to draw in off of the halter towards you. And again, that should only be taught to a horse that you've established your personal space with that has respect for you, has some respect for the halter that you've taught the other groundwork exercises to. You would never want to do circle driving from a distance uh, and modify it to include a lot of draw in this way with a horse that's very disrespectful and pushy. It would not work. It would not be a good exercise to teach because it would encourage all the wrong things. But a horse that's very reactive and nervous, this is an exercise that will really calm one down. And just before you get into your last point, I want to just stress the importance of backing with these types of horses. There's, of all the exercises that you could do on the ground, if you only, say, could do one exercise a day with your horse, you should pick backing. You'll get more done working on backing with your horse than you will with any of the other exercises. Backing really gets horse to think and to engage because it's not something that they do a ton on their own free time just naturally. You don't ever see them backing circles around their feeder, backing up to the water, backing in and out of their shed. You know, they don't anywhere that they could go. You never see them backing to it and practicing that, right? It takes a lot of concentration for a horse to do. And you see, especially in the very beginning, it's not something they do naturally very well. They lean left and lean right and stumble and step on themselves. And it's kind of ugly. So this is an exercise that really forces a horse to think about where he's going. And it's a huge respect building exercise. So especially with a horse that's hot and nervous and overreactive, as often as I can, I want to try and back this horse everywhere. Because more important than your typical fat, lazy quarter horse is everywhere, anytime I'm interacting with him and in, and all the time spent with him, he could be learning something. He could be learning to think and he could be learning to respect me. Or he could learn to lead beside me like a disrespectful dog looking around and contorting himself around to see every little thing and whinnying at the other horses in the pasture and doing that uh, special little pet peeve of mine where you're leading them and then they look away from you over at the other horses in the pasture and because they're not paying attention, they drift sideways and end up stepping on your on your foot as you're, as you're walking beside them. That sort of stuff. Let's eliminate all of that. Get him out of your space, back him up, and get him to engage. So I cannot stress enough the importance of backing this horse wherever you go. 
Definitely. And one final point I'll make is on the desensitizing. Now, at the start of this segment, we talked about how you can't run to the desensitizing as your main tool for getting a horse like this quiet. It's actually going to come through the sensitizing exercises and the way that you go about them, right? But desensitizing is still going to be a huge factor. And where a lot of horse owners get in trouble with this is they overemphasize the desensitizing or they do giant doses of it and lose focus on the sensitizing. And quite honestly, if you're doing this too early on, if you're constantly assaulting the thing mentally with pool noodles, bags, flags, tarps, everything you can possibly buy at tractor supply that's going to frighten this horse and you don't have the horse's respect, he's not going to have any incentive to pay attention and get quiet anyways. As you move through the program, if you do big chunks of desensitizing in huge doses, even if the horse does respect you, he's just going to get bored and the desensitizing is not going to be effective. Where it becomes very effective is if you do lots of small doses mixed in with your normal groundwork routine. So think about breaking it up into little segments, gradually chipping away at your desensitizing throughout the day and throughout the session. You're not saving it all for for one big push, either at the beginning or the end. For example, let's say you go to catch the horse and he lives in a little run or a dry lot or something. When you immediately halter the horse up, and keep in mind this is after we've established at least a few of the basic groundwork exercises and some respect for your personal space, all right? You've taught this horse to yield his hindquarters, back, flex, things like that. You can go in the pen, halter the horse up, and start off the day with a little bit of flexing and maybe desensitize with the rope uh, or the stick and string if you have it, just right there in the run. And then you can back that horse down to the arena or out to the pasture or whatever area that you've got to work the horse in. So you started off the day with a little suppling and desensitizing. You then threw in a sensitizing exercise with backing. And maybe even before you started backing the horse to the arena, just in the run or in the pin where he's at, you did a little yield the hindquarters, for example, then yield the forequarters and then back him down there. And when you get to the arena or the spot you're going to work, you do another session of, of desensitizing. And you maybe spend a couple of minutes just doing each side with like the stick and the string, do some more flexing, review your yield the hindquarters and yield the forequarters, and maybe go into your lunging exercises. And after each little sensitizing exercise that you do, you throw in a little dose of desensitizing each time. And that's especially true with plastic bags. When you introduce the plastic bag, you want to do it in doses to where you're chipping away every day and getting the horse more and more quiet. So like the first time that you introduce it, obviously, you're just walking away from the horse, moving the bag, slapping the ground with rhythm, just you know, building up a little bit of courage in him by drawing him to it as you move the bag away. Progressively, in each little dose that you do, you're going to be desensitizing the horse with him standing still, but you're just kind of gently flapping the bag with rhythm, desensitizing the airspace around the horse. And oftentimes, we'll get to a stage in our training where we might do five or six sensitizing exercises in a groundwork session, and that also includes five or six little doses of the bag. After every little exercise, we stop, do a couple minutes with the bag on each side, and then quit and go to the next thing. And we're just gradually in the macro chipping away at it until a couple weeks later, we're flapping every part of this horse's body with the bag. 
but in in the micro doses of it, you don't see a lot of progression. You're just chipping at it and and doing a couple minutes and then flick the bag aside and go on to something else, right? And it's it's often very handy to have little bags and things kind of strewn around the arena or placed at strategic places where you're doing your groundwork, especially if you're doing some obstacle work on the ground. At every obstacle, you have a little stick with a bag on it that you can just pick up, do a little desensitizing here and there to finish off the exercise, and then drop it on the ground and go to the next thing. So to wrap up this episode, let's talk for a few minutes just about hobbling, because we've had this question come up before, especially with those that send their horses for training. Horse owners want to know what our thoughts are on the hobbling, if we think it's a good thing, why, and the steps that we do it in. We definitely like the hobbling for a few different purposes especially with horses that are highly resistant to pressure. The initial stages of the hobbling, especially leading by the feet, are very humbling and they challenge a horse to think through a situation rather than mindlessly struggle and resist pressure. And if a horse is good with hobbles and they're good with accepting a lot of pressure and being in a bind, especially with their legs, because keep in mind, Horses are very conscious about having their legs restricted. It's one of those things that as a flight animal, they depend on their legs and having their legs taken away from them or restricted in some way, that creates a lot of anxiety. That's why horses that are very green will often develop habits about pulling back when being tied up. They don't want to have their feet restricted. If something's making them nervous, their instinct is, I got to move my feet. And if they can't, if they're bound up, Then their next instinct is, well, I need to fight and break free and get out of here so I can move my feet and run and put distance between me and whatever uh, is dangerous or whatever I'm nervous about. So any way that you restrict a horse's feet is inherently going to be one of the more challenging areas of the training because there's three ways to control a horse's feet and thereby his mind. You can create movement, redirect it, or you inhibit movement physically. So things like tying a horse up with a halter and lead rope, that's inhibiting movement, right? And this is inherently something that goes against the horse's very instincts and nature as a flight-based prey animal. However, if we can start showing this horse an alternative way to deal with situations where his feet are being restricted, and that rather than doing what Mother Nature tells him, which is to panic and fight and thrash and freak out if he's feeling nervous and restricted in any way, We teach them the opposite. We teach them that the correct response is to slow down and think your way through the bind and that that's the way to get out of a difficult situation. So when it comes to hobbling, we'll actually do the first session of this and the way that we introduce it very early on in the training. We'll teach leading by the feet in the round pen really before we even get a saddle on the horse. This is something that happens right in the first week of training before we even ride. And that pretty much involves taking a lariat and usually we'll use like a softer, like a calf rope, for example, and sending the horse around the round pin. And then strategically at different points around the pin, you're going to use your own body weight to put pressure on that rope and challenge the horse to accept that pressure on his foot, stop. And actually, uh, if you're starting with the back feet, take a step backward to create slack in the rope and yield to that pressure. Or if you've got the lariat on a front foot, stop and turn in and step towards you to create slack in the rope and get a release of pressure. Through the releases of pressure, you're showing the horse that the correct way to respond to one of his legs being put in a bind is to submit to that pressure, not fight and kick and thrash and pull. And you're introducing this exercise in a way that you're in the round pin 
but you don't have a halter and lead rope on the horse. It's just you, the round pin, the horse, and that lariat that's either on a hind or a front leg. So there's really not a lot of options for getting in trouble uh, or, or getting you or the horse hurt. And it's one of the most safe and effective ways to start teaching the concept of when I put pressure on you, especially put your legs in a bind, you need to relax and submit to that and yield to pressure, not thrash and kick and fight. And a lot of colts will react. You know, you got that lariat around a hind foot, and that first time you lean back and create a little pressure with that rope, a lot of times they'll go jumping and kicking around the round pin trying to get that rope off, and you're just maintaining a hold of it and maintaining that pressure until they stop kicking and submit and create slack in the rope. And you'll find that especially with more rank, pig-headed, ranchy horses that are very highly resistant to pressure, Four days in a row of leading by the feet, doing one foot each day, takes a lot of the fight and just mental resistance out of the horse. It does a lot to make them more humble, more submissive, and it just will take a lot of excess energy and snort out of a young colt, especially one that's kind of a troublemaker. But aside from those four days in a row of doing one foot each day with the lariat in the round pin and leading by the feet, we'll then not touch the hobbling again until about four weeks into the training. So around week four in the training is when we'll actually introduce the rest of the hobbling system with the one-legged hobble, the sidelines, as well as front hobbles and getting this horse to accept that progression. Yeah, and there's no specific timeline. Four weeks seems like a good amount of time because you have a good enough level of control both on the ground and under saddle to ensure that this part of it goes well, that you've done enough up to this point so that restricting their legs in this way doesn't cause a ton of drama or say you know risk of injury or something like that you know leading them by the feet even though they're super green at that point even if they haven't had anything done with them it's kind of idiot proof in the fact of like you know how many things can go wrong um so it's a lot easier to get that done on a super super green horse whereas this part of it has i think a little bit more ramifications especially once we get the three-way hobble on the sideline hobbles on uh has a little bit more possibility for disaster if you don't have your wits about you and the horse isn't fairly quiet and has a good level of control to begin with it just makes life easier so you want to do this in the round pin and we're going to start out with the one-legged hobble okay you want to get that leg up as high as you can and, and get that hobble nice and snug and then you're going to send that horse off. You know, you're going to have them on the lunge line and you're going to almost treat it like your first saddling in a way. Once you get that leg up there and get that hobble buckled, step back and keep that horse away from you. As you do it, you want to keep an eye on them. Don't trust them. You don't want them to panic and run towards you. Okay. So you back away, keeping your eye on them, get your stick. Don't lose sight of them and then send them off. Drive that front end away and just have them basically lunge around you while on three legs you're not worried about speed at this point you don't want them you don't want them to be lollygagging around but i'm not going to be looking for them to lope or trot around you're going to basically as a general rule most of them they kind of get nervous and want to speed up and so they kind of set the pace themselves but at the same time i don't want them just standing there sold up not wanting to move every now and then you'll get a horse like that in which case you're going to try and at least coax a few steps out of them you know like a half a circle before stopping you have to find some sort of a starting point some horses want to gallop around and so you kind of let them go 
and the faster they want to run, the harder it gets. And they'll realize, man, this is this is kind of tiring. This kind of sucks. And they'll slow themselves down. You've got the ones that walk right off with no trouble at all and just kind of hop around. Um, you maybe go a couple circles and, and then yield them and go the other way. You've got some that soul up and don't want to move. You got to spank them on the tail and get them to move because you have to expose them to that. If you just let them stand there, it does nothing. You have to move their feet. And maybe you only get a half a circle out of them and then you need to stop so that you, you encourage them to go and you got them, you got them to go say at least half a circle. But if you push more than that, they might just shut down for good and you won't be able to get them to go. So you have to say, okay, this is about as much as I can get for today. All right. So you go one way, they yield their hindquarters, get two eyes, send them off the other way, making sure you get that front end away from you. Don't just let them do the top gun flyby and uh, encroach upon your circle. Get that shoulder away from you. Get them out away from you. Let that rope out so that they have plenty of room to move around. You don't want to make them do a tight circle around you. You want them to let them get out there and move around. All right. So once they're able to step around with a consistent cadence and they're not, they're not struggling, they're not rearing up in the air, they're not kicking that leg around and being uncomfortable about it, then you can go ahead and get two eyes and stop after sitting on both ways. And then you can go in there, approach from your 45, still keep your eye on them. You don't trust them at this point. And you can get that buckle undone and then you can pick up and drop, pick up and drop that foot several times before taking that hobble off and do the same thing on the other leg, being aware of the whole, it doesn't matter how, how quiet fluffy is or how much you trust them. You pretend like it's first saddling and you won't get hurt. All right. You do not trust them. Step two after that. And this is all done after your ride. I should have probably said that up front again, to stress this, this is all done at the end of your ride, and the horse is already kind of tired, they're looking to stand still, they're wanting to be quiet, they're wanting to be relaxed, all right? So it's about four weeks into it, and we start this after the ride. And we're gonna, this program will be about three days in a row that we begin the hobbling program. It's three sessions in a row, always after the ride, all right? And this is all in the context of one session. This is an individual day. So we're still in the round pen, okay? We just took the hobble off after doing both individual front legs with the one-legged hobble, all right? We put that aside, and now we go get our sideline hobbles, all right? And we sideline, say, the left side, for instance, all right? Now, as far as lengthwise, with the horse is standing square, and you, say, sideline the left side, you don't want to have them so short that when the front legs are perfectly even, the left hind leg is pulled up to the halfway point of his belly. All right, so the distance from front to legs to back legs, when the horse is standing square, now the left foot is pulled up to halfway in that distance. You don't want it, you don't want it that far. That's too far. All right. So if the horse is standing square and the front legs are square, you want that left hind leg to be pulled up just a quarter, depending on which way you're looking at. It. If it's the back legs, it's a quarter. If you're looking from the front legs, you'd say the back leg is three quarters over the way down his body, but it's not completely square with his other hind leg. All right. So if it's not in the middle of his belly, it's just at that quarter mark from being between the belly and the other hind leg, you're in, you're in a good spot. All right. So it's enough that it puts him in a bind, but not so severe that it makes it impossible. So you're going to do the, the sideline hobble. And when you put it on, you're going to make sure you do the front leg first. 
Okay, whenever you put your sideline hobbles on, you always do the front foot first. The reason being, as you're putting the hind hobble cuff on, especially if you haven't done any leading by the feet, as you go to put that, that hobble cuff on the hind leg, if he were to kick, as you get it done up, if you're efficient with it, you get it done up quick. If he were to kick, all he would do is pull his front foot out from underneath of him instead of kicking you. So that's the that's the reasoning behind why you would put a certain foot on first. So once you get that on, step back away from him. From there, you can go ahead and send him off. All right. And you can have him, you repeat what you did with the one-legged hobble, sending him both directions on each side. So when we sideline the left side of his body, we're going to send him on right circle and a left circle. Right circle, yield, get two eyes, send him off on a left circle. And you're going to let it, you're going to keep him away from you. You're going to get, let him get out there to the, at least the end of your rope. Let him get away from you so he have some room to move and you want him to move so that he can feel that hobble on there. If you just let him stand there, it does nothing. He needs to move around and you're trying to get him to basically just walk a circle around you. And when he feels that pull, especially when he picks up that front leg to take a step and it pulls on that back leg, he just puts that foot down. He doesn't struggle and kick with his hind leg or anything silly like that. So you're looking for him to just walk and accept that hobble without the struggle. So you're going to continue sending him in a circle or changing directions until he just accepts it. There's, he's not struggling. He's not kicking at it, etc. So after doing both legs, again, when you're taking it off, now do the back leg first. Why? Because as you undo that hobble cuff, say he struggled pretty bad and he's got a little bit of a rope burn there. Okay, if, if you go to take that hobble cuff off and as you go to move it to, to get to the buckle and he goes, ouch, and pulls his leg or tries to kick, again, he'll just kick his inside front foot out from underneath of him. He won't kick you in the face. All right, so putting it on, you do the front leg first. Taking it off, you undo the back leg first. All right. So after getting two eyes and finishing with the sideline hobbles, and we've we've sent him both ways, both directions, both sides, and we've already done our one-legged hobble now. This is all still in the same session. Next step is get your front leg hobbles. Usually they're rope or some sort of a rawhide rope type of a hobble. And you're going to have him stand in the middle of your round pin, and you're going to have him bring his front feet together almost to where the hooves are touching. And you're going to go around the cannon bone and you're going to hobble both his front legs together with that rope hobble while he is also sidelined. All right. So this is what we'd call three-way hobbling. And the reason for this is you never want to teach a horse. You see a lot of people that just use the front hobbles right off the bat. All right. And especially a lot of people that are like kind of old school cowboys uh, like to go on their camping with their picket lines and all that stuff. Right. And so they'll just hobble old Smokey out there in the, the pasture, you know, 50 yards away from the campsite. And the vacationer will be like, well, Cowboy Bob, ain't he going to run away from you? And he's like, oh, shoot. No, I got a hobble. He can't go nowhere. He'll just wander around and little little 50 foot squire. It won't be no big deal. Yeah, what's pretty surprising is how old Smokey learns very quickly how to gallop in front hobbles. Exactly. And so they learn that habit and you're screwed. You can never hobble them like that again because you've you've defeated the purpose of the exercise. So we've got the, the two front feet and the sideline on. 
so that they never get in that habit of lunging forward and discovering how to lope with their front two legs taken away. Exactly. So when we first do it in the round pin, say they panic and they you know run a rear up and leap forward, as they do that, all they do is they pull on that back foot and it takes their power away. It like pushes in the clutch. So it's really the it's the safest option to start them with it as well as it prevents any bad habits down the road. And so once you get that on from there, what I like to do is step back and ever so gently from a distance, yield his hindquarters just a little bit, both directions. The reason for this is you don't want to put the front hobbles on and then just step back and wait 15 minutes and then take them off. And he never moved a step because in his mind, he never felt them. He needs to feel them. So when you yield their hindquarters just a little bit from a distance, you get them just to move their butt around. And even if they just pivot their front feet, it'll start to kind of twist and he'll feel the hobbles pull on his legs. And then he'll have to move them to readjust his foot and he'll feel it. All right. So I'll yield their hindquarters both ways, kind of playing with left or right until I get him to where he, say, picks up one foot to readjust it and he feels it. Once he's felt it, then I'm good. From there, I'll just get to the end of my rope and I'll just lean against the round pin fence and just watch him there in the middle. I'm still going to have a hold of him. If he tries to move around or if he were to panic or whatever, I can help control the situation. But I'm going to just set my watch for 10, 15 minutes and I'll just wait on him. After I get done with that, then I'll go ahead and go in there and remove the front hobbles. And then I'll take off the sideline hobbles. And when I take off the sideline hobbles, I'm going to take off the back leg first and then the front leg. And that's one complete session. You're doing all three of those things in one session. So it's a bit time consuming, but it's worth it in the long run and what you're getting done, both as a safety aspect and just mentally in a humility aspect as far as, you know, getting the horse to realize, okay, you can even take away my legs and I'm still, still safe. And it'll really build their respect and their trust for you. Day two, day three, you follow the same protocol. If they're really good by day three, you can unclip the lead rope and let them stand in there unattended for 10, 15 minutes. Once you've done that for three days and you've done this all in the round pin, if you've done your job right, if they're, say, a more type of a reactive horse, maybe you spend another day or two doing the same thing. Otherwise, if you've done your job right, they're good enough to where at the end of your ride now, when you tie them up after, say, washing them off, you can three-way hobble them tied up. And this is going to be the process for a while now, as that when you hobble them, you're going to three-way them. Why? Because we want to instill in them the fact that just having front hobbles on is not a weakness that you can exploit. I want them to make sure that when they feel their legs are tied up, they're like, okay, I just got to stand here and fall asleep. And I'll do that for about two weeks. When I tie them up, I'll have them three-wayed, and that'll just be the way I do it, to where it's an ingrained habit that hobbling means, okay, just stand here and have a cigarette. Once that's accomplished after say about two weeks, then from there, I can just go ahead and hobble them with just the front legs still tied up somewhere. I'm not just going to turn them loose and hobble them with their front legs still tied up, but I won't need the sideline and I'll be in good shape. Um, you know, I wouldn't turn them out in a pasture and just hobble the front legs because you're just asking to plant that bad habit in the horse that is irreversible if they do learn it. So it's just not worth it. But we're looking at it from a training perspective, not a camping out in the Rocky Mountains so I can go pack my elk in or out. 
Um, we're looking at it from a purely training perspective in enhancing our riding, enhancing our relationship with our horse, gaining their respect and gaining their trust. Yeah, mentally hobbling is something that will hugely build a horse's trust. It's also a massive safety issue. Uh, I've got a lot of stories of horses that had their legs caught in wire, in fences, in ropes, different things on the ground that they got into and ended up not tearing off their leg or permanently destroying tendons and ligaments because someone had taught them these hobbling exercises and rather than struggling and thrashing violently when their legs were put in a bind, they submitted to it and waited for someone to come along and help them out of that. I was personally riding a horse one time on the trail and I walked him off into an area beside the trail that I thought was completely clear and he suddenly stopped and he didn't want to walk forward and I looked down and his leg, he'd actually stepped into some wire that was hidden by the long grass that was from an old fence that was kind of buried in there. You couldn't see it, but he, he walked right into it and his leg was bound up by the wire. But rather than kick at it and thrash and get me hurt or tear his own leg up and get a super deep wire cut, if not something worse, when he felt that restriction, he stopped and waited for me to help him out of that and get back on the trail where there's no down fence lines. So I personally have experience with a horse that knew the hobbling and was, and we were able to get out of a potentially very bad situation because he didn't overreact when his leg got restricted suddenly. So clearly the skills the horse learns from the hobbling exercises can really save you a lot of medical bills, especially if the horse gets hung up in a bad fence. Not only does it do a lot for their respect and trust of you, but it's just cheap insurance. Now that being said, there's still no excuse to not have good fencing. And if you struggle to manage the fencing on your place, I can't help you with that. But if you struggle with managing your animal's water every day, then maybe our sponsor can help you out. That would be Drinking Post Waterers. If you're constantly breaking ice, paying high electric bills to keep your waterers heated, constantly scrubbing algae or fixing broken parts, then you need to go right now to www.drinkingpost.com slash project horse where you can register to win a frost-free automatic water, and while you're on the site, you can learn more about their products and say goodbye to the constant headache of watering. Drinking Post delivers fresh, clean water on demand year-round. Once again, visit www.drinkingpost.com slash project horse to register and learn more about how to turn a dreaded chore into more time spent with your animals. Once again, thank you to Drinking Post for sponsoring this episode, and thank you to all of our listeners out there for supporting the podcast, keeping things fresh, uh, updating our inbox with ideas for things you want to hear about on future episodes. In fact, our next episode, all three topics we're going to discuss on the show are drawn from listener questions just within the last couple of weeks. So we appreciate all the feedback, the suggestions that we get, and above all, we appreciate you guys for listening and supporting us. It means a lot. Once again, thank you for listening and have a good day. Thank you for listening to the Project Horse Podcast. If you enjoyed it, be sure to subscribe and give us a five-star rating to help more horsemen like you find our content. You can also check out the Lundahl Performance Facebook page. There you can message us with any questions or training topics you want covered on the show. You can also learn about our training program, clinics, lessons, and the consulting we do for horse owners across the United States and abroad. Thanks again for listening. 